Welcome to the Beekeeper's Corner Podcast. May 9th, 2021, episode 194, Bee People. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Beekeeper's Corner. I'm Kevin England. On today's show, I'm happy to check the box on something that I've been looking forward to for a while now, and that is getting to catch up with Frank Mortimer. New Jersey has no shortage of beekeepers that are actively participating in the state scene to educate and provide for New Jersey beekeepers and Frank and the crew at Northeast, which is a branch of the New Jersey Beekeepers Association, have certainly been doing their part for that section of the state and for the state in general. If the name sounds familiar, perhaps it's because Frank has recently released Bee People and the Bugs That They Love, a book that a lot of beekeepers have been looking forward to, and now it's widely available. In this episode, I got a chance to talk to Frank about his beekeeping sideline, and we discussed the dynamic of his book release. I did read the book, and in the one-on-one, I was able to reflect on my impressions and ask Frank a few questions about it along the way. You know, I always feel like I should get out of the way when I have a guest episode, so let me step out from behind the microphone and cue up the conversation. Here is the one-on-one with Frank the B-Man, Frank Mortimer. So getting started with the episode, I want to welcome in Frank Mortimer. How are you doing, Frank? I'm doing great, Kevin. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's been a long time since we talked to each other, but I think I've probably known you five, six years ago. Casual acquaintance. We meet at B meetings, of course, and, and things like that. Yeah, I wouldn't even say we've met longer ago than that. I mean, we shouldn't admit our age, I guess, but uh, yeah. I can think of some, <laughs> some of the executive board meetings when we meet... Uh, at uh, Rutgers and that yeah uh, way building. back when yeah yeah the days yeah we've been through a lot together and um I, I will start off and say as a northwest person I love going to the northeast and to the rawway area where you guys are for your meetings and that's where we typically cross paths and um as much as we've had idle chit chat you and I I don't think I know a lot about it uh, about you in, in specific so I, I'm Happy to have you on the show and, and learn a little more. And I guess let's start with some of the basics. The first thing is, where do you keep bees? What town, municipality are you? Describe kind of what your locale is. Sure. So I am um, my where I live is in Ridgewood, New Jersey, and I have a bee yard here. And then I also have two others. One is at the Hohokus Saddle River border. And for uh, those that aren't familiar with New Jersey, Hohokus is an actual town name. And it's the only one that has a double hyphen in the U.S. And uh, the third place is in Upper Saddle River. You know, I, I go for the long town names where I'm going to put my hives. Yeah. When, when did you get started? What year? I got started in 2007. And it's Seven. interesting. Like, I never was around bees. I never knew anybody that had them. But I just something inside me always wanted to do bees. And then I, I finally was able to get started. And of course, one of the things we'll talk about is the book you wrote recently that just got released, Bee People and the Bugs They Love. And you go through a lot of that stuff with it. But uh, to that point, passionate about insects led you possibly to the path, right? That's what I understand about it. Yeah, no, that's exactly what happened. 
you know, it's just, um, it, I, it's, like I said, I always wanted to be around him. And then that just, you know, was a domino effect that takes me here to the show today. So how many hives do you keep? Right now I have 15. I have five in each yard. Um, and that's about as big as I want to be. Yeah, I, I would imagine, um, I, I, again, I don't know, what is your day job? What do you do for a living? So I'm in marketing. So I, I market educational products to uh, universities. Do, do you travel into the city or do you work from home? How does that work? Now I work from home. Um, in, in previous companies I worked that I did have to take the train into Manhattan, um, which, you know, spending a lot of time on NJ transit and stuck in uh, board <laughs> meeting in New York really yeah. made me want to be out with my bees all the more. Yeah, I, I get that and been there and done some of that. Uh, not as much as you apparently, but um, so, so Ridgewood two yards more kind of uh, city, like not out in the country, say we're Sussex uh, on the other side of the state from you. Right. Correct. Yeah. I'm in a very suburbs. It's a very tight suburb area. And then I'm just lucky that um, the three yards I have is that uh, the different, um, like one's a club, one is a church where they let me keep my bees. And the third is actually the city of Ridgewood. So you don't, I guess you don't have that much of a bear issue there where you are, even though there's so many bears in Northern New Jersey where you are, they must not be in with the populace. You know, bear fences. I've seen some of your videos and stuff. Yeah, I, I, I realize a little bit of that. I'm, I'm throwing the dice because there's been bear issues at adjoining towns, but in the ones that I'm in, thankfully that there, there hasn't been. And my hives that are in Upper Saddle River, I've had them in that location for a decade now, and thankfully, thankfully, no bear. Yeah, I've said this on the show before. I have the same kind of issues. There's bears all around me, and there's literally been bears on the property next door. But for whatever reason, knock on wood, they've they've never wandered in. Um, and and I wish you the best that you don't have to put bear fences up and deal with that because that's never any fun. Uh, you've been keeping bees for a long time, and one of the things I know about you is not too long ago you became a master beekeeper with Cornell, right? Yes, that's that is correct. And I can tell you the exact day that I signed up. It's uh, <laughs> February 8th, 2017. And the reason I know that for a fact is that is the day my youngest daughter was born. And uh, ah. my wife, my wife was in labor. We were in the hospital. And, you know, like all beekeepers, what I do when I'm awake, I talk about bees. And so, <laughs> Poking around <laughs> on your phone. <laughs> yeah. And I said, hey, you know what? That Cornell program opened up today. And uh, thankfully, the euphoria of early labors, my wife said, oh, yeah, go up, sign up, sign up. Wow. So I literally signed up in the delivery room. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. And I, you know, I've seen, uh, obviously, you obtained your certificate and it seems like you're helping them out up there, right? You're doing some training with them. Yes. So um, I was through the, the first program um, and then because I wanted to expand it, that I am one of the uh, adjunct. Uh, instructors. So like for different cohorts that go through that I oversee um, their online program, meaning like I facilitate the course and I answer any questions and I, I uh, and I grade and all that stuff. So I, I have one kind of loaded question for you. How the heck do you do all this? Because you work full-time job, <laughs> you maintain 30 hives, you are 
the vice president of the New Jersey Beekeepers Association, and you're also extremely active with Northeast. You must uh, live a very busy, ambitious life. Yeah, I, I drink a lot of coffee. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you've got a, a young family, too, that uh, I'm sure keeps you busy. Yes. And I, well, I always say that, uh, you know, they help me out with the bees because nobody lives for free in my house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I see your girls in the videos. They're, they're uh, absolutely adorable and helping you out and stuff. So um, let, let's talk about the, the book that has to be another, I don't know how you found time to do it uh, uh, moment. I, I read the book. You gave me a pre-copy so we could have this conversation and yeah, I I love the book. Uh, how's the feedback been from it? It's been it's been really good. It's um and it's it's sort of overwhelming when people you don't know are like this book is so great and it's so funny and connects with so many beekeepers. Um, so it's like I said, I'm still it, it's a it's a weird place to be when you get so many compliments. Um, but it's all been very very favorable. So take a moment, Be People and the Bugs They Love. Tell us about the title. How did you develop that and kind of just come to the theme? What what moved you to do this? So not to sound like a complete weirdo, but I actually dreamed of the title. And then I woke up and I wrote it down. I had no idea about the book, but I had the, just that popped in my head, Be People and the Bugs They Love. And then so from that... Um, I, I, you know, there's several people in my life, including my, my wife had, has been saying, you should write a book. You should write a book. And so I'm like, okay, well, people are telling me I should write a book. I have a title and then just kind of started. I, I think I could probably, because I find this absolutely fascinating do a whole episode on what it took to do that. But one of the questions I have is, um, you've been delayed. The whole COVID thing just derailed your entire release schedule and, uh, just recently, you've come back to go ahead and do your book tour and things like that. Uh, that had to be kind of, uh, what, a, a wrench in the system. How could you ever have anticipated that? Yeah, and it was, it was I was, as funny as it is, but I was actually at my bee yard when I got the call from my editor. And uh, she's like, we need to talk. And so I went back to the car and that's where she told me, hey, we want to, we feel it's best interest to delay the publication because it was supposed to come out in June. And that's really when everything was just dead and yeah. that meaning businesses and nobody was buying or doing anything. And so they just thought it would just disappear. So it was, it really was like a punch in the gut, you know, so the, the wind out of my sails for sure. And I do think it was the right business decision to make, but that did not make it any easier to have it delayed by, you know, nine months. I, I think about uh, reading the book and, and the waking up in the middle of the night with a title. And I have this thing where I was on the rescue squad once in Flemington, New Jersey. And I remember having this epiphany of the people who were in the squad were just such characters and they, kind of fell into these different personas that I have encountered over and over again in my life. So when I read the book, I completely made the connection with the different people you wrote about, and I could almost match them up to different personas that I had. And I have to say, we could go through a couple of them. One-eyed Rusty, that the, okay, so here's a quote. Rusty's house was a cross between MacGyver and Buffalo Bill 
from Silence of the Lambs. I immediately am in his house and, and understand that. Um, I, I just thought that your ability to describe the, the characters that you were relaying and come back and make it relate to beekeeping was just outstanding. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, and it, it's funny. Like when I was walking around his house, that's that's exactly what popped in my head because yeah. you'd see these MacGyver gadgets and then other things that you're like, don't go in the basement, don't go in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, there's other things. Um, but one of the characters in the books you call him Badger. Uh, you and he went out, you describe a situation where you didn't light a smoker, you went to go check something and you ended up getting stung, right? And his comment back to you was, looks like one got you there. That's why it's always a good idea to light a smoker. I mean, I could so relate to that. I'm always the person that gets stung. And, you know, you you know this because, and, and I know it from being a beekeeper, you always have those beekeeping buddies or people that you hang around with that you get into these situations with and, I just found over and over again, I, I really felt like a connection of, of different beekeeping people. It's, it's kind of fun to, to read the book and see that other people have those same types of experiences, you know? Yeah. And that's like, what's been really exciting for me is, you know, I've talked to people, you know, in Houston, out in uh, Seattle, Northern California, and they all, they all have characters they relate to. Like they're like, were you in our club meetings for some of these? So it is funny how, like when you said it, even, outside of beekeeping that there's like these universal characters that just seem to exist. Yeah. My favorite by far is the berserker <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to give it away. I want you to read the book so you can understand what that was, but uh, uh, by far my favorite person in the book and have encountered the berserker uh, many a time and stuff. And, you know, even the, the interesting relationship that you have with people who are not, beekeepers you described byron in the book who is a co-worker that tagged along for an adventure and i think that is another essence of the bugs that we love and describing us as bee people as people who are not bee people because you and i we can have this conversation and we speak the same language but when you bring somebody from the outer circle in to the conversation and the way you describe it it, it becomes one of those moments where you go oh yeah i i could see that going on and and it's fun to see pe people, you know, through their eyes, what that's about, you know? Yeah. And it's like, it's funny when I started to realize the difference between us and everybody else was when I would do B talks to the general public and I start my talk, I have this uh, picture that I blew up. It's a bee on my finger. And, um, and I'm always like this, you know, I start with this to show you that if bees are calm and if you don't bother them, they're not going to bother you. And then some people would say, well, where'd you take that picture? I'm like, oh, in my car. I came to a stoplight and the bee landed on my hand. So I grabbed yeah. my phone and took a picture. And as I'm watching their eyes get bigger, like if a bee landed on me in the car, I would jump out. You know? Yeah. Yeah. People freak out about that. And I, I, you know, you, you run into these encounters where you start to meet people in totally uninclined circumstances. And then all of a sudden it, the conversation comes to bees and, uh, you mentioned in the book there was an encounter with a police officer, and here you you got pulled over, or whatever. But you end up having this situation where you end up talking about bees, and uh, that happens all the time. You could be standing in the grocery line, and the person finds out you're a beekeeper some way. You're wearing a t-shirt or something, and so it, it's kind of neat how you wove all those different interactions through the story, 
and um, you know, I guess the one the one thing that stands out is some of your mannerisms. We've all been there. There was a point where you were discussing with Sophie, your wife, about hold on a minute, I'm going to do something real fast. And <laughs> and I knew as soon as I read that, it was going to be followed with this isn't going to go very well. You know, <laughs> we've all been there. So I I think you really hit the nail on the head and. Um, it's not just stories about people in the middle. And I think you did an extremely admirable job. You have many different things where you disclose information about beekeeping. And I, as I read it, my impression was I'm a master beekeeper too. I learned a lot of things. I think you did a great job describing stuff. If anything, me, I'm always looking at how do I describe things to people who don't know it and your your way to describe different behaviors and biology aspects and whatever and your bee nerd facts that you have in there are like Kevin moments to me. Um, I, I think you did an outstanding job really kind of. I can imagine this is not just for beekeepers, right? Uh, I'm assuming you're you're seeing people who are. Uh, what's what's the term I, I would say be friendly or be happy uh be, be interested curious. but not beekeepers they this book is completely approachable for them from what i could tell yeah thank you very much and that's it's funny because like you know i i describe it kind of like the karate kid you know wax on wax off but for me that was doing all these talks and um like when i became president of the northeast there was 12 guys old guys really old guys that met in this cruddy room that, you know, nine or 10 of them every month. And it was, and I wanted, when I became president, wanted to grow it. And so to grow a club, you need money and you need members. And so the way I did that was I was doing all these public talks and anybody that wanted a public talk that would make a donation to the club, I would do the talk. And it was like, literally, I, I have now done over 150 talks, but by saying things over and over again, is how I was able to refine it so so it would be clear or um, you know just really catch people's imagination. Yeah, uh, certainly public outreach does give you a lot of practice of doing that kind of stuff, doesn't it? Yeah, and and it's like that's how I finally made the jump into beekeeping is I went to a talk at a library, and that's part of why I'm still committed to continue to do bee talks because it got me in it, and I want to get other people into it too. So as a beekeeper your life changes. <laughs> there, there tends to be this moment where you switch and life revolves around your beekeeping, right? And it looks like your family is all in uh, from what I could see through, you know, whatever is available to me looking on your website and your videos and things like that. And that is true, isn't it? How much uh, beekeeping kind of directs your schedules, things you have to do. And we were talking before we came on air about swarms, <laughs> collecting yeah. swarms and things like that. Um, you, you really do become saturated in it, don't you? It, it, I, yes, because it's, it's, it, it is funny to me of how, like, and it was at a state meeting that I'm sure both of us were at many years ago where the, the president spoke to the club and said, you know, once people find out you're a beekeeper, then you're known as the bee man or bee woman. And I think that that's true. And you do have end up all these people talking to you and then, the more you talk about it, then the more, you know, that you're talking about it at home, about what it did and just really does permeate all aspects of your life. But I'm, I am very, very fortunate that 
that my uh, my wife is very tolerant of my uh, yeah. addiction, as I like to call it. <laughs> yeah, there's days when I could get thrown out of the house for sure. I have my <laughs> moments, and I'm sure we all do, right? And everybody should know that's the way it goes. So, so the book is now widely available. Uh, are you doing a book tour or anything where you're going out? Yeah, so it's it's all virtual at this point. But yeah, I, uh, it's been kind of fun. Like I've talked to bookstores um, throughout California, in New Jersey, Massachusetts, Ohio, um, Texas, just to name a few. Yeah, the reception I'm assuming is good, right? Because I know a bunch of different beekeepers who said, I got the book, you know, I got my book got delivered today. So even in our inner circles, there's a lot of people excited to read what you wrote. Yeah, no, it's it, and that's where I'm saying like it's. This is the part that I get uncomfortable with, um, because it's it is a little overwhelming to have all these people tell you how much they're enjoying your story. Um, yeah. So it's it makes me proud, but at the same time, it's it's like ah, because you know? like when yeah. you write, so much of your heart comes onto the page. Yeah. I you know I do the podcast and when I go places and people recognize me it is awkward right because you're you're just doing your thing uh, for for people to appreciate your effort is it's humility I, I understand where you're coming from and you know I, I would say to you I wish you the best success in in this um, uh, I know that it's a part of, and a chapter of your life right now that's going to be extremely active and. You know, the book is available on Amazon. It's available on all the booksellers. You have an audible recording of it too, which uh, I just discovered actually beforehand. That looks like it came out March 30th, right? Yeah, it was, it's pretty recent. Yeah, it was, yeah, Michael Butler is the 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 narrator of it, and he has done other books as well. He did uh, Neil uh, Tyson Gricey's book, and um, who's the NASCAR guy, Gordon? Jeff Gordon. Yeah, he, he also read Jeff Gordon's book, too. Yeah, you ask me. I'm a super NASCAR geeky guy, right? If it's I know, not that's about why. about beekeeping. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah and so so you're, you're out promoting the book, and, and uh, what does that entail? What do, you, what do you have to, like, do you have something lined up every weekend? How do you keep bees and do that, too? Thankfully, most especially of the, this season, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, thankfully, most of the uh, book tours are at night, so that's I've been fortunate oh, with good. that. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's like they the big my publisher made a big push around Earth Day, so that week, uh, like I had to take off from work because I did have so much stuff back to back, and um, even was on a, a Reddit Ask Me Anything, yeah, um, which was fun on Earth Day. So, and yeah, just you know. It's an excuse to talk about bees with beekeepers from around the world. So it's fantastic in some ways. I, I could imagine you on a Zoom call or whatever you do for work. And they're like, Frank, Frank, the author, Frank, the bee man. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's got to be a little swagger for that. Yeah. <laughs> or like, yeah, when they'll randomly reference it. Oh, well, you know, with a the book, Frank, then how does that apply for the lot? I'm like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. I, well, that. You know, one of the interesting things is when you find somebody who you absolutely know nothing about, they don't know anything about beekeeping, and they walk up and start asking you questions. That's what that'll pop your noodle <laughs> when stuff like that happens. Uh, I, I had um, a, my niece had a friend who was in college, 
that when she found out her last name, told her that she listens to my podcast. And she said, well, are you a beekeeper? She said, no, I found this podcast and I thought the topic was interesting and I've been listening to it for a couple of years. I'm like, really? Wow. That, that's a, that's a weird thing to go on. So um, see, that's what, that's what I love about beekeeping. I say there's two sides to it. There's the practical side, which gets you off your couch and outside in the hives, but then there's this whole cerebral nerd side, which is just as fascinating. I mean, like I could see how people are just, into reading about the research and all, all the different science that's always coming out. I mean, they're absolutely fascinating creatures. So how did you figure out what people to choose to write about in the book? Did it, did you kind of make a list and think about different stories or how did you come to pick and choose? Yeah. It, so I, I wrote the first chapter, just sat down and wrote it. And then, um, then what I did is I went to an Excel spreadsheet wrote out what I thought all the different chapters would be, then put in what different B facts would be in there and then what stories I could tell. And then, so I kind of had multiple lists of, I mean, prior to the book, I would like the berserker, your favorite story. I've told that story to beekeepers a hundred times because it is so funny. And then I'm like, okay, well, how do I fit all that in? And like, so in the book, there's one chapter on going to the state meeting but actually that is stories from multiple state meetings all squeezed in to that one chapter. So it was several state meetings, but all that did happen at different meetings. I, I guess we all kind of have that. I, my, one of my favorite stories is when I drove home from Schaefer bees it is, and there were bees loose inside the car all over the place and they weren't very happy. And I ended up putting on a full bee suit. And I remember pulling up to the stoplight in Ringo's, <laughs> sitting there in the double lane and looking over to the person next to me in a full bee suit. They must have thought I was from the moon or something. It was really kind of funny. And I've told that, but you know, you, you do, you have those stories and you love to, to hear them get out. And, you know, for you, that's got to be rewarding that they're now kind of institutionalized and people can enjoy them. Yeah, absolutely. It, and it's funny with what you said, because one of my goals is to like purposely see how fast I could drive down the New Jersey turnpike with lots of bees in the car. So <laughs> get pulled over and be like, officer, there's bees in here. Are you sure you want me to roll my window down? Yeah. <laughs> when you roll your window down and they all come out, <laughs> yeah. probably drag you out and put you on the ground. Yeah. So yeah. you're, you're, uh, your business, you're Frank the Bee Man. You have Frank's Honey. You, you do that too, where you're selling honey and lip balm and hand cream and things like that. So you, you must be manufacturing that stuff or, or doing whatever in the winter. And are you doing, I, I see you have a couple stationary places where you sell your stuff. Talk about that side of your, your I would call you a sideliner, right? Sideliner business. Tell me about that. Yeah, I, I would call myself a sideliner too. And um, well, what's interesting is I've never solicited stores. They've all come to me um, and it's and it's all all but one of them are in my local area. And it's just been it's been real kind of fun like they're because I post a lot on um, Facebook and because I find that that is a great way for beekeepers to sell their honey is um, like there's these mom and dad sites that are town specific on Facebook. Yeah. So on mine and I just, you know, they allow on Tuesday for you to post if you're selling something. So I come up with all these um, little cute ads about 
honey or the other stuff. And then from that, that these, um, you know, family owned businesses contacted me and said, Hey, we'd like to carry your honey. And um, so it's nice. And I've told them, look, I'm just a, a sideliner guy. So I'm not going to be able to give you the price that, you know, that you could, if you went to a big commercial, right. You know, but they like the fact but it's fresh local honey from a guy they know in their neighborhood. Right. And it's neighborhood yeah. bees. And I've seen some of your videos, both pre-book and book. Uh, there's some creative things in, in your gene pool there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I'm trying yeah, to I'm think a- of the one with the shopping cart. What was that? Oh, one? yeah. <laughs> well, and what's funny with that. So, so in my book trailer, that I had, you know, trying to stay like beekeepers are like everybody else, you know, only we're always thinking about bees. And so in that, yeah, I'm, I'm pushing a shopping cart with a, a bee suit on and that was shot pre pandemic. Yeah. And then what was funny is once we got into the pandemic, then people were posting pictures and they were actually doing that in real life. <laughs> and I'm like, Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. So Frank, the bee I have the address, right. And there you can, buy the book, see the videos, see pictures of you and your operation, uh, tells where your honey sales are and all those things. That is, uh, is that the, the right, is there any other place we should plug? Yeah, no, that's, that's has it all. And that's, and it has links to all the places you can buy books, but wherever, if, if you have local bookstores, I'd recommend, I like to support local. So go to your local bookstore and any place that you go will have my book or can order it. So recently it talked about on the podcast, uh, you were uh, involved uh, in the state regulation meeting. And I was saying what a, what a really neat idea that was, right? To bring everybody together. And I encouraged people from other places that this was a good idea. Uh, other states should adopt that where they just every once in a while ground everybody. I could imagine, and I had seen Megan our state apiarist after that meeting. And we had the conversation about how that can only help the situation because if people follow the ground rules, then there's probably less conflict in the state. So kudos to you guys for that. What do you got going on in the state uh, organization? Yeah, well, and thank you for saying that because I, I think as beekeepers, every beekeeper has to remember that they're a spokesperson for our hobby, passion, business. And so that's where you always have to be thinking of what kind of perception people have of you and what you're doing. And in that means that you have to follow basic regulations and be polite to your neighbors. And if you do that, then you're protected by the regulations. And so it's, it's really, if, like you said, if people follow the rules, then everything will go smoothly. So it's good. Yeah, and I'm, I'm real proud of that uh, the New Jersey Department of Agriculture has put the uh, frequently asked questions. So it kind of breaks down a lot of the, the, the issues in the regulations into plain English. So it can be understood by anybody, both beekeeper and non-beekeeper. Yeah, I, I was working on a, a, a training subject for state regulations. And before you announced that meeting, I had just built the presentation. And when I watched your presentation, you basically fact-checked what I had written. It was almost like for like. So uh, great minds think alike. And, you know, I I think uh, the only little glitch there was about the fence thing, but you guys straightened that out. And 
hopefully everybody kind of get their head straight on that. Um, but yeah, it is good that the rules are out there and that people are, you know, kind of following them and they seem so common sense, but if you don't know they're out there, then they're, they're basically non-existent. Right. And, uh, we encounter, I'm sure you do too, through your training of different new beekeepers that come in every year, people who need a little coaching on some things and, it's always good to say, go look there, right? Somebody's already put this together for you. Yes. And, and it's like, and the regulations last summer worked because that there were several situations where a neighbor really didn't want the person having bees. It was trying to get the town involved. And we were able to just shut that down because the beekeepers were abiding by the regulations. And then there was at least one incident where a beekeeper wasn't, we could say, Hey, you got to follow this or yeah. we're not going to, we're not going to protect you. So the Northeast club, one of the things that you guys do up there that uh, I want to personally say, thanks is you bring in a lot of nationally known speakers, people that I've never seen. I've seen a bunch of different people once and only, and you guys brought them in. And uh, I, I have conversations with our Northwest club. We've been, a little slow on that lately, but we're we're gearing up this year to do some more of that stuff. Um, and you know, it's nice. I I see. Uh, you know, Tim Ives, for example, is a guy that I don't think he's ever spoken in New Jersey except for the time that you guys had him in, and that was just cool to to be able to hear what he had to say in person. Yeah, I agree. And it's in like you talk about like how giant skyscrapers his hives are yeah like that was phenomenal to <laughs> learn about too yeah you guys do this thing up there every year called the honey cup can you describe what that is and, and talk about that a little bit yeah so it's um when i you know first um got involved with the executive board and i heard about the the, the honey show that the state ran and it was like okay we're going to grade it as, and this is the, how you know most honey shows are around the, the country. Well, it, you know, your glass has to be clean. There can be nothing, uh, any specks in the honey, and it's got to be this color or that. And it's like, but nobody said taste. And I'm thinking, well, wait a second, honey is all about taste. And and so what I came up with was what the, called the honey cup, which was a way that we could judge honey on what it what it tasted like. And so... The members all who want to compete drop off their honey. We transfer it into similar jars. So it's only identified by the number and nobody knows whose honey's who, except for me and my wife. And then we put it out and we invite the public. And so we've had, you know, a couple of times over 500 people and everybody that shows up gets to vote. And uh, what what's always scares me every year is there's going to be a tie because, they yeah. you know, <laughs> and it blows me away, Kevin, that every year there's a clear winner by like 10, 20 votes, right? one honey. Yeah. How many and entries do you get in, you know? Over 30. Cause we, when we started, it wasn't anything near that. So we only had one cup, but then because we got so many, we divided into light honey and dark honey. Um, and so it's essentially two separate competitions for the, the summer and the, and the fall honey. But um, we we average between fifteen and twenty honeys per each of those categories. Wow, wow! And it, you know, I've watched this. I don't know what has it been four or five years, maybe more. I don't know how many years have you done it. Yeah, it's uh, 
I want to say it was like five or six. Obviously, we haven't done it the last two years. Yeah. Uh, let's see numbers. But um, yeah, it was, it, again, it just kept growing and growing. So it started, when we started off as a little club thing. I saw it in your newsletter. And then the next year, it was a little bigger. And then the next year, it was bigger. And then the year after that, it kind of exploded. And, and it looked like this really big thing. And when I saw all the people from the public coming in, I'm like, man, you guys killed it with an outreach thing. It, it was really a neat program. And I wanted to discuss that with you and tell other people, you know, what a yeah. neat opportunity. And, it, and, and so that's, and that was, how the do whole you promote goal. that to the public? That on um, local patches. So in all the towns that um, our club um, would, you know, the big, big patches around the, you know, we we're essentially a county and a half right mm-hmm. in New Jersey. So just finding the different patches then also reaching out to the different news organizations and then, made flyers for the members as PDFs that they could print out and hang up in places and then other um, posts that they could do on Facebook and things like that. So the easier that we made it for our members to advertise it to their um, social networks, then, then the, the more people that showed up and you know, that that's where my marketing background, I guess, came into play, but you're hundred percent right that the whole idea is that to get the general public in because the belief, my belief is that the more non beekeepers that get how good local honey tastes, the better it is for all beekeepers because they're going to want us around. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I, I I don't know where this happened, but recently I got some store-bought honey and I tasted it and it just tasted so flat. And if you could give people a, a, spoonful of fresh honey it really is a night and day difference and so you say a county and a half which county is it we're mostly in bergen county and then you know like i said like all the edges around bergen county so we do some in passaic maybe a tad in essex and also because we touch up in new york so that's orange and rockland county as well and Ridgewood, if if you're not familiar with New Jersey, is like that upper right-hand corner across from. How far are you from Manhattan? What twenty-minute drive? It, well, if it, we're probably about traffic twenty miles, yes. but yeah, but if there's no traffic, you guys do ninety, so you must take about ten minutes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, you're you're uh, east of two eighty-seven, about halfway between say two eighty-seven and Manhattan. Right, isn't that the ballpark? I don't yeah, know where Ridgewood is exactly, but we're uh, we sit on top of Paramus. So if you know the George Washington Bridge, yeah, just you go out there about out go west of the George Washington Bridge about 15 miles, and then that's that's my part of the woods. So the interesting thing to me when I come up to your area is how many beekeepers you have up there. You would think that area might not be as popular, but I think you have from a density of beekeepers as many as we do over here on the Delaware River side of the state, which is the garden part of the state, so to speak, you know? Yeah, it's and that's it it it's amazing. And that's why, like when it comes to Varroa, why I'm such a proponent of everybody treating, because it it I said like if we put it on a map, a three mile radius around everyone's hives everyone's bees are touching so especially I bet you I know live. where every beehive is around your area i mean generally right you drive around and go there's one over there there's one over there we all do don't we yes yeah and it, and if there's not one there we'd say that's a great place for some hives <laughs> yeah 
What's funny is the swarm call that came through one of the Facebook pages yesterday, there was a beekeeper who stopped and picked it up and I found out where he lives and he's not a member of the state and I didn't even know he was there. So I found another location and that happens all the time. Yeah. And that's, and I, I like to me, when people get one, say, how do we get started? I always say, join the local club. And I really wish that beekeepers um, that aren't in the New Jersey beekeepers would, would join just so we know each other, you know, it's, it's from a completely social club aspect, it would be great if everybody joined. There's another cultural thing I know about your club, which is you partner with everybody. Um, when you guys buy treatments, when you guys buy some equipment, when you guys provide nukes, you do it to the whole club a lot of times to so see the advertisements coming in clubs buying nukes come on in get to your order whatever we're buying sugar and things like that that's that's kind of really cool how aligned everybody is at participating and sharing and you know the other thing is i've been there to some of your meetings when that stuff is handed out and there's 10 12 people participating maybe that's just my perception (laughs) you know pareto principle but but you tend to have a very active and collaborative club from what i can see yeah, thank you. And that's, and it's funny, like a lot of when I first started, the club that I joined um, at that time was not very helpful. So a lot of what I did was what I wish I had when I started, you know, so like, um, and bees is a perfect example. Like I didn't know where to get bees. And it seemed like people in the club didn't want to give away their sources. So I, I, you know, and it, it's in the book, but I ended up with somebody who now knowing what I know, I would never have bought bees from that person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We'll come back to the book and, and kind of tail this off here. Your journey of, I think I want to keep bees. I'm going to keep bees. I have bees, but I don't know what I'm doing. And then going through to where you are now, it, it's been, you know, in some small sense, a life lesson. And, and it's really cool that you got the chance to encapsulate that in the book, I think. Uh, you know, I admire you for having that ability and you'll always be able to look back on that. But man, it sounds like it's been a, a it seems like it's been a hell of a ride, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, it, it has. And it's, well, and it's funny because like there was some of the stuff that when I started writing, like it was, it just was flowing, you know, it's um, like, uh, I had read Stephen King has a book on writing, which, you know, not necessarily a big Stephen King fan, but that book on writing mm-hmm. is fantastic. And he always talks about like that. He's um, the story, his, his stories exist and he's just carving it out of like thinking really out of stone and it's already existing. And so it is interesting. There was a few times when I kind of felt like that, where I was just kind of transcribing what, what was already there. Um, so that, that was kind of a neat to be in that flow. Yeah, and you chose to, to even offer some of the personal side of your life, relationships, things like that. And I wanted to ask you, you went to Sweden yes. to meet your wife's family. That, that sounds like it was an adventure. And of course, what did you do? <laughs> I, I, you know, I did what everybody does when they go to Europe. I found a local <laughs> beekeeping club and hung out with them. <laughs> That's pretty and funny. Would, well, and what's really funny is that Swedish people are, they're, they're, like they never they're not they're not like hey how are you like even like if in new york or wherever if like my wife or family hears another swedish person talking swedish they don't they'll say oh, oh that person's swedish but they won't go over and say oh, like, really? if that was a, 
yeah, like think of us. Like if you heard somebody, you, you would know, walk over and go, "Hey, <laughs> hey, hey, are you yeah. from Jersey?" You know, right. and uh, so it, for me to do that is so non-Swedish, which made it even funnier. And uh, you know, my what did they think of you over there? Well, that's the whole funny thing. So two funny stories that so I I I thank my wife helped me write the emails to the president of the club in her hometown. And um, and thankfully, he spoke some English because I can't speak Swedish at all. But the two funny things is when he and I were going around looking at his hives is I thought there was a big debate in my club about should you insulate your hives or should yeah. you not insulate your hives? And I'm thinking. Sweden winters are so much worse than ours. I'm going to do whatever they say. So I'm like, hey, do you guys insulate your hives or not? And he said, some of us do, some of us don't. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah, they're they're known. Right, they, I guess that's part of the Nordics, and they're known to have those really harsh winters. And my impression, and, and this is a question I had teed up for you, when you were over there, did you see styrofoam hives? Yes. Polys? Because it started a yes. big push there, right? For that reason. Yeah. Do they like them? The, Do they care the, about them? Do they say, are they, or is it just a hive to them? The, the, this president, um, he, that's what he used. Thomas <laughs> had, had the styrofoam hives and he was transitioning more to those. So he had some of the more um, like the wood ones, but he said, oh, these, he was, I like these, they're the best. You know what Brandy and, um, used by chance? Just curious. I don't, but I, yeah. I do know that Lyson is very big over there. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So, and um, like that, because Lyson is a Polish company. Mm -hmm. And so they really do serve uh, a lot of Europe and especially Sweden. And they had, um, they had some Lyson products that I wish that we had here. And I actually, I actually bought beekeeping stuff. Had it. Did you ship there. it over? <laughs> <laughs> I bought a couple things when I was in Italy and I had to leave some things behind like clothing in order to fit it in my suitcase. <laughs> but I wanted the bee stuff more than I wanted the clothing. <laughs> That's a that beekeeper is fantastic. story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but, so uh, they didn't, you know, the bee box brand is made in finland so i would think that being neighbors they would but you're yes. right lyson is is an extremely well-known brand sold out of better be here in new jersey or in new york i mean yeah and i, I just don't remember what the name is um but what, what i thought was interesting too uh is that sweden has multiple types of hives so you think like think of, uh, and I'm not going to talk about top bar or anything like that. Let's just say like Langstroth, right? We have one size yeah, box. Right. They have national there, hives and. Yeah. And they have like, they have um, the Dedant, half Dedant. Jumbos and yeah, all that. So it's a lot like London. If you've ever been there. You, yeah. No, no, I they, all, they all walk up to each other and they say jumbo or this or that. And they have that conversation with themselves and all to understand what form factor they're using. It is strange, isn't it? We, we don't know it anything is. about that here. Everything is standard for us. Well, and what's funny to me, and I joke with the Swedes about this, is that like they always say, oh, America, you have, you know, you have too many TV channels. You have too many choices of this, too many choices of that. And I'm like, hey, look at you guys and your, bee, yeah. your beehives. <laughs> what what but, was uh, – uh, they're, they're, 
in in the book it talks about the light and how it's light there almost 24 hours a day kind of thing is it weird to work bees there it's it's not like you're in florida where the tropics right you're in a cold climate but the the light is up all day long what does that do anything with the biology of the bees that so what what was interesting is that like in in the, like they'll never be like super hot there but as long as it's light it's not cool uh, but once it gets dark you go in the shade then that's where you're like oh i need a sweatshirt but um when it was great because the thomas was the, the the beekeeper that i most spent the most time with over there he would work a full day and then him and i were spending you know several hours like you know until eight nine o'clock at night and it was still like to hear i think it'd be like three o'clock in the afternoon and there was so many times that i was losing track of that but imagine just think of what it's like at three o'clock at your hives and it's nine o'clock at night yeah that's got to be weird <laughs> Yeah, when I went to Africa, the guy picked me up at five thirty in the morning, and I said to him, "What the what the heck is what What are you doing? Why are we up so early?" He said, "You don't want to work these bees in the middle of the day. They're nasty as hell, <laughs> right?" He said, "You need to get them when they're in the overnight torpor uh, state, and then you got to be out by ten o'clock, or you're going to get lit up." And they were obviously African bees are hot as could be then. I can only imagine what they would have been like in the middle of the day. Wow. Yeah, they're, the the bees they mostly had carniolans and super super mellow. So oh yeah. Um, and what what I thought was interesting, yeah, like they're like no way can we have like, why that stuff. because they're adapted to the cold temperature. Exactly because and um, like he, instead of calling them Italians, they call them by more of the scientific name linguistas. Linguista, like, no, no, yeah. That uh, no no we can't have those. They um, they need too much. So, because uh, he overwintered and he was a major sideliner. He had over 80 hives and he was a big queen breeder too. Wow. Um, but he overwintered as did mo most of the club in single deeps. Oh yeah. Okay. Which that just blows me away that it's such a cold climate that it's a single deep. With no insulation. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. yeah, I'm just kind of working through that as you're talking about it. And so how about you? We'll come back. I have questions for you now that you said a couple of those things. This is the two beekeepers in a bar kind of part of it. You don't do any green wearing, right? You know, no. You no, can't have time. Thank you. I can't imagine you have time <laughs> for that. What kind of bees are you running? Do you buy any stock or that everything's a mutt or what? I, I'm a mutt person. I've tried yeah. different um, kinds and the most recent kind I tried, not because I bought it, but was Saskatraz. Mm -hmm. But instead of buying it that the UPS facility by, by me, the, the man like packages kept falling off the line. Oh yeah. So whenever they break, they'd call me in a panic. Oh, <laughs> how funny is that? Yeah. So last during the COVID, so think of, first of all, the security at a UPS facility, then the COVID restrictions on top of it. Yeah. And then, but bees supersedes all that. And they wave me in to where all the trucks are with my, my little car. That's a story for book number two, Frank. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's like, funny. I, what did you I, think I, of them after all? Did you have any impression? I liked them. I thought they were mellow. And what was interesting to me is I found the queens to be very fast. They were kind of running all over the comb. Yeah. And I'm talking about like the baddies that were definitely laying well. 
but just amazing at how quickly they would move. So, you know, thankfully I had it marked. Um, so I, I would, I would give them a thumbs up. Um, but again, to me, I'm more just about the mutts. Yeah. I, I had it in my mind this year to maybe try Saskatraz and Russian bees and lo and behold, a fellow beekeeper in my community had a swarm and he had Russian bees that he bought from man Lake last year. And I now have a box sitting out in the yard with Russian bees in them. They're really one box right now and they're building. So we'll see. He said they were a little testy this spring. So I'm, I'm hoping they kind of mellow out and they're are happier, but, uh, you know, I get to try them. You've never tried Russians. Have you? I haven't. No, that I think that'd be cool though. So that you'll have to let me know how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a mutt guy too. Although I, I don't can't recall. I mean, here and there, I buy some bees just to try new packages and see how they're doing and things like that. But obviously, I just breed from what I have or, you know, collaborations that I have, plus all the swarms that come through year after year. And you running all Langstroth equipment? Yes. Nothing, yes, nothing I am. strange, right? All 10 frame? All 10 frame. Except yeah. for my honey supers, I do the nine frame and the honey supers. Okay. So you spread them out. So you get the. You ever yes. you ever hear the story about how ten frame the the bottom box top box the the grooves are the the channels are the same, but when you spread nine frames you block that and it changes the dynamic of the airflow through the hive. You know what I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. Huh. Do so you have any problems? No, right? I no, I've not had any problems. And when I went to nine frame, I saw a significant jump in my honey production. So, um, is that because they built the cells deeper? You think? Correct. Yeah, yes, I, I I agree with that. Um, I I had run nine frames in my honey supers for years, and recently someone gave me a couple boxes that they didn't want to extract, and had ten frames in them, and I got less honey out of a ten frame box than I did out of my nine frame ones. And but you know we were looking at the extractor going, this is really weird. Why is that? But the frames were pretty much flush with the face, and to your point, the cells were not as deep, right? And it just didn't hold as much honey. It's yeah. harder to extract that, don't you think? Or you know, like cut the capping off. Yes, it's 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 more difficult, and it's just amazing at how much more honey it can hold. It is just blows me away. And then the other thing that I started doing a few years ago that um, really increased my honey production was that I'm now extracting twice a season. So I, I extract in June and again in July. And it, like I used to prior to that, see like, like the Tim Ives who you mentioned, I would see how high I could get the hives to go. Yeah. But now what I do is I pull them all off and, and I extract and get them back on within 24 hours. So that, you know, I'm, my, in my head, it's so that the bees don't freak out of the loss of space, but it seems that they fill it up better when I do that. I, I agree with you. And I think that's a better strategy. It's, it's kind of cool to stand on a ladder next to your hive. And, you know, I think we all have those pictures, but I agree with the tactic that you use. Do you get a fall crop up there? I personally don't. Um, there are folks that do get it, but I have not got it. How far are you from, say, Landy Simone? By I'd have to go down 287. And John Gott and them. Um, so John Gott is closer to me. He's about 20 minutes away, and Landy's probably closer to 40. Okay. Yeah. I know where Landy is. I've never been to John's. So that just gives me some perspective of where you are. And 
Um, suffice it to say, know your region. Um, there's there's a lot of houses <laughs> in close proximity and a lot of traffic and a lot of people up there. Do you ever you ever have challenges with uh, swarms? With um, well, it's it's more that when there's a swarm, it's going to make a it's going to make a lot of press. So that's why what I always try to do is I wear my club shirt. And, you know, I, I don't wear a veil. I don't wear anything. And I just go out with a cardboard box because, again, I see myself as a spokesperson for bees. Yeah. If they see me go there with a cardboard box and shake it, then they'll be like, oh, I guess bees aren't that dangerous, which is what I'm trying I, to show. I wasn't trying to, I guess I could could soften that. I wasn't trying to allude that it was a dangerous thing. And not that you were saying that, but my my point was more to it must be like showtime there <laughs> right yeah. showtime in the community when a swarm occurs because i know what it's like here when somebody encounters the two or three people they're like oh my god that's a wonder of nature you have yes. a, you have far bigger audience sometimes i bet there's probably 10 people watching you on occasion there, yeah well and like the the biggest one was in my downtown of ridgewood which is like a little um think of like any small town with a main street yeah. with different shops and restaurants and a swarm had had landed right outside of this restaurant which if you watch i'm gonna go on a side note here if you watch comedians in cars with um uh, jerry seinfeld jerry, yeah he was in this restaurant when he filmed the one um um blanking on the other comedian um I'll, it'll pop in my head, but he was in this restaurant at a, not at the same time, but that's this place. And this giant ball of bees was hanging out front. So the police like, you know, taped off the area yeah. and then half the town was watching it. And uh, what was funny was that, and then they were different people were taking pictures. So back to the Facebook page that people were posting it on it. And like, and I always take the box as I'm sure you do. And I put it in my car which just blows people's minds. Yeah. And so on Facebook, they're like, that crazy guy just put him in his car like it's nothing. Yeah, they take your your nutcase, right, when you do that stuff. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty funny. Well, Frank, I, I got to say, uh, this has been on the checklist for a long time to get a chance to talk to you. I want to say I really, really enjoyed the book. I I think you did a, a spectacular job and um, – you don't have to be a beekeeper to love it. I, I think a lot of people will be curious was the uh, thing. People who love bees but know nothing about them will get a lot from it. And the stories are rich and rewarding. And, uh, you know, I, I could go on. I really enjoyed it. And I want to say thanks from us to you for writing it, taking the time. And uh, I wish you the best with it. It's frankthebeeman.com is where you can go and learn about it. Is there any uh, promotions you're doing soon? Right around the corner here. Uh, um, on on the the closest one to um, here in New Jersey is the my library is doing one on June sixteenth, um, and then but next week I have uh, Westerville, Ohio, which is outside of Columbus, and then also uh, middle of Massachusetts. There's a, a whole conglomerate of different libraries that I'm doing something with there too. I, I would imagine that. Uh... When the world opens up again, you'll have EAS in your future and a couple of those other uh, venues that go on out, right? And yes, I, I certainly hope so. <laughs> yeah. Well, best of luck with it, and thanks for stopping by. I really appreciate it. And uh, what do you got going on at Northeast? Anybody coming up? 
Yeah, it's we're all right now, it's all virtual. So it's just um, doing more practical to help the, the the newer beekeepers know what they're doing, especially now with. Yeah, we're doing the office. same thing. Yeah. Have you opened your meetings to, to the general or are you kind of keeping it? It's all virtual okay. right now. Yeah, but, are, but can anyone in the world come to your meetings or? Um, I saw said, you guys were using, was it Cornell Zoom for a while? So the, the or is Cornell, that the state? That's the state. Okay. Sorry. And uh, it's for the, the Northeast that they send out emails. So I guess you'd have to get the email to get the link, but then you could you could join at that point. Yeah, we we bought a Zoom subscription for Northwest and we've been having meetings. And if people somehow get the link, I mean, it's on our website, so there's no real restriction. And we've had people show up here and there, just come on in and it's okay. As long as we don't exceed our license, we don't care, right? One of those yeah. kind of things. And it's always great, like if somebody from another club or another area that's how you learn is of course i say this now and (laughs) i'll be in the northwest meeting next time but (laughs) yeah we we just did our our first field meeting since COVID started and at our mentoring yard we have two mentoring yards the first one at valley crest we had last week and this month's meeting will be at the deer path one so it's kind of cool to get back with real people you know we masked and social distance and all that but uh it's different times, isn't it? It is. And uh, I'm, I'm somebody that always looks for the, the silver lining of things. And where I think that the, the pandemic and the germs is, has helped people really understand how Varroa is a vector for viruses. Yeah. Yes. And it just, it seems like more people are getting it now. So hopefully that means that more people will treat. Yeah. Well, Frank, uh, thanks. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, the, the episode will be out in in due course and uh you know I'm, I'm looking forward to getting a chance to say hello to you in person uh one of these days and and uh really do appreciate you taking the time and thanks again for the book good luck with it wish you the best for it thanks kevin and, and I, you know and i want to thank you for the podcast that you do and i mean i mean as long as i can remember you've been bringing videotapes and tape recorders to different meetings and talks and i think that you have done such a great service to so many beekeepers by making these available. So thank you for all you've done over so many years. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yep. Take care, Frank. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I did. Um, You know, I think, I think you could tell that I enjoy those conversations because what I like about these kind of sessions is that, well, I think you can tell I've known Frank for years, but we've never taken the time to sit down and discuss things in any appreciable detail. Making the time to set up an interview and have a one-on-one is an odd way, I must admit, for getting somebody's background. But sometimes it simply affords a block of time to do something that, you know, otherwise would never get done, get scheduled. And I can say that even after we finish the recording, as is often the case, Frank and I probably chatted for another good 45 minutes or so about odds and ends before we finally disconnected. That discussion was a little more personal. We got to share some impressions of things going on in the state and exchange ideas about what's going on and what we've been up to personally in our beekeeping clubs. And in the end, I think it's really to the theme of beekeepers going together and You know, these sidebar conversations really do help people develop an appreciation for each other and make those connections. 
There are quite a few beekeepers that I know in this way, and I would really like to sit down with them and take the time to get to know them better. It is that sentiment that is compelling me to strive to do more of this. This year, specifically, and I have a few people on my wish list, so stay posted as I look to see if I can schedule additional one-on-ones and capture more of the amazing personal stories of people's interactions with beekeeping in their lives. I wish Frank the best for his book promotion, and I think once word of mouth spreads, it'll become one of those books that every beekeeper will have on a list to be on their shelf someday. I'll be back next weekend with a normal show. And heck, there's so much going on. There's going to be plenty to report. So come on back and join me next time. Like our beloved bees, when beekeepers go together, we accomplish great things. Thanks for listening, everyone, and be well.